This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. We have been pausing to think about the, the Reformation, an event that ta- took place. Most of the time, people will say that the Reformation began on October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the castle door in Wittenberg. And and I, I don't have a problem with that. The, the fact is, the Reformation was a movement that was happening over time. That might just have been the powder keg, um, the lighting yeah. of the powder keg. But there was already Reformational movement Prior to that, we, we were talking about this the other week. You know, the Erasmus was writing and uh, going back to the original store, sources. The the phrase "ad fontes" act, back to the font. They were mm-hmm. basically coming back, and Erasmus was uh, bringing forth the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew. And, and you know, this, in fact, Erasmus' work was what Luther used in translating it into Ger- German. So. He was going right to the the Greek and right to the Hebrew to translate the Bible into into German. So there was already that work being, which was one we're talking the other day about the traditions, you know, that had uh, kind of come into a lot of what was happening in the medieval church at that point. Some of them biblical, some of them unbiblical, and going back to the sources. Uh, was giving a, an understanding of where these things were in error. Calvin would say that the the gospel was muddied and, and lost during that time period because of illiterate and indifferent men of character. And so God was using these men who were literate uh, and of strong Christ-like character to begin to re- reframe and renew the church back according to the scriptures. And one of the most decisive moments, kind of like the burning of the ships type of moments, was when Luther is at the Diet of, of Arms, and he's being asked to recant. They piled his works in front of him and have said, will you recant? And Luther has this, a rare moment where he, he asks for a day. He wants to think about this. He knows the weight of the moment, and he wants to be, he wants to be right. And so he asks for a day to consider, and so then the next day they come back and want him to recant and he wants to engage he wants to debate he wants to have a discussion about okay what exactly are your concerns in these books and they're like no we don't we want this without any type of fanfare either you're going to reject it or you're not and it's at that moment that that luther stands up and and says unless i'm convinced by testimonies of the scripture or by clear arguments that I'm in error, for popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves, I cannot withdraw. And that probably is the clearest statement of sola scriptura that we have, mm-hmm. that he's basing his stand on the word of God alone, that only the word of God is, is a final authority for, for life and faith. And that is the moment that I, I would say 
solidified the Reformation moving forward. Yeah, it, we weren't, the, we're, and Luther wasn't the first one to deal with that. There's a, there's always, and even today, there's competing quote unquote truth out there. What is the truth? Are we going to do? Are we going to come to that by some sort of? Uh, rationalization, empiricism, uh, you know, uh, feelings and that, where is the standard going to fall? And uh, there came down to this, there was only one true standard, which one could make appeal to any decision. And that was the word of God spoken. Uh, this was the problem with uh, the with Adam and Eve in the garden. This is where it all fell apart. You know, you know, the serpent comes and says, has God said, well, indeed, he had said certain things. And uh, so what Luther was affirming was what we have to affirm is that there's only one legitimate uh, standard, which is God's word. There's no other higher authority than one can appeal to than God alone. And that's what we're going to look at today. Yesterday we talked about inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy, that the word of God is breathed out by God himself. And because of that, it's truth, because God is truth. And so because it's breathed out, the very word of God, what that means is it cannot err and it does not err, um, infallibility and errancy. Now we want to talk about the authority of Scripture. So sometimes we talk about the attributes of Scripture. You can An acronym that you can use is SCAN, sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. You can use SPAN if you want to, if you don't like the word clarity and you want perspicuity. That also works, but that's for another day. We want to start with the attribute of authority. Why does this matter so much, and what is it? What, what do we mean when we talk about the authority of Scripture? Well, I think one of the, just to use an illustration, is, is either we are standing over the Bible as the authority and judge of it, or it stands over us as the authority and judge over us. And I think when we when we speak of the scripture as authoritative, the, the clear example you have to follow is that we stand underneath its authority. It what it says is the final determination and, and judge of what is right in all matters of faith and practice in life. And that quote that uh, you read, Russ, from uh, Martin Luther, you know he's he's standing upon scripture and he points out you know popes and councils have erred and the church does err it's not infallible and the only authority that the church has is derived from the scriptures the scriptures do not derive their authority from any institution calvin is quoted as saying the scripture is as authoritative as if god himself has been giving utterance and when we read the word of god it's we need to read it as God is speaking to us in his word. And one of the Psalms that kind of shows the that what Calvin is talking about in Psalm 138, uh, verse 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. And, you know, when scriptures talk about God's name, it's talk about who he is, his character. It's not just a title or something that he has but it's who he is so he's he's in essence he's put his word his stamp on his word to be with on par with his name so all of us in the room here are confessional which means that we subscribe to different confessions and creeds um, within the church doesn't that undermine 
the belief in the authority of Scripture? We were just talking about this with uh, some of our elders last night, is we believe in the creeds and confessions as they are faithful testimonies to and affirmations of the authority and the teachings of Scripture. So we would believe them to be summaries of what Scripture mm-hmm. teaches. But if we were to read, let's say, one of ours is the Heidelberg Catechism alongside the Scripture, if there is any question of error or false testimony, it is always going to be in the creed or the confession. It is never going to be in the Scripture. Yeah, we have to be willing, although our our confessions are trustworthy, there does have to be a, a willingness on our part that if it's definitively proven that they go against Scripture in some point, we need to be willing to let go that aspect of our confession and rework it so that it's more in line with Scripture. Yeah, one of the one of the phrases out of the Reformation is semper reformanda, which is always reforming. We are always reforming whatever we think or feel to the Word of God. You know, so even when we're raising our children, you know, when we're teaching them something, you know, uh, one of the things I would tell my own children is your argument is not with me, it's with God. Uh, we're, we're coming back to you with the Word of God. Here's where we're here's where we stand. So we always are reforming our, our attitude, our heart, our thoughts according to the Word of God. And that's what it, because it is the final authority in life and practice. So a couple of us hold and submit to or subscribe to the Belgic Confession in an Article 7. It says this. And so it's actually referring to itself. It's, it's the, the Belgic Confession is making a judgment about itself. Hmm. And it says, therefore, we must not consider human writings, no matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to the divine writings, nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of time, or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions above the truth of God, for truth is above everything else. Then it goes on, therefore, we reject with all our hearts, everything that does not agree with this infallible rule, as we are taught to do by the apostles when they say, test the spirits to see if they are of God. And also, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Mm. So even our confessional standards will say, these writings cannot be put on the same level as Scripture. So when you have people that sometimes are concerned about a confessional church and say, well, you just hold your confessions equal to the Word of God, our very confessions tell us we don't hold our confessions (laughs) equal to the Word of God. Yep. That we believe in the authority of Scripture. We don't – that doesn't mean we don't believe in other authorities. What it means is we don't believe in other authorities above Mm -hmm. the authority of Scripture. Every other authority is, is subordinate. To the Word of God, and and only the Word does not have a derived power. Yeah, I think that's helpful to re- remember is that every Christian has an authoritative tradition they receive. Right, we're not just a first generation, brand new, deciding what the Bible teaches. The question becomes, what role does that authoritative tradition we've received play, and in, in comparison to the authority of Scripture? And I, and I think this is just so helpful when we think about just all authorities within our life as parent to children. I mean, children obey your your parents in the Lord, mm-hmm. and and really what that's saying is you obey them as far as what the Word of God allows you to. That your parents only have authority that's 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 aligned with the teachings and principles of the Word of God, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't go beyond that. It's not an absolute authority. 
Um, civil government is not an absolute authority. They can only command so far. And, and our conscience is bound only as far as what the Word of God allows us to do. Mm-hmm. This is why there's this concept of civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that's not a Martin Luther King Jr. thing. <laughs> that's not a Gandhi thing. Mm-hmm. That that's a authority of Scripture thing. That's saying I believe in the authority of Scripture, and I can only go so far as what my conscience allows me to go mm-hmm. with regard to what the Word of God teaches. It goes back to Peter and John. Mm-hmm. They judge whether it's better to obey man than God. Mm-hmm. And the same is true within the church. Mm-hmm. The church has authority. Mm-hmm. It's just not an absolute authority that it's bound by the Word of God. And what we've seen in the church today is a little bit scary because really we've, we've created, I think, a cult of personality um, in a lot of churches. And what that means is that the, the pastor typically has more authority than what they ought to have mm-hmm. and that people have forgotten that it's the Word of God that's the true authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if those listening out there, if your church is teaching you to do something contrary to what God teaches, you have the obligation and the responsibility to God to disobey. Respectfully, but disobey. And it seems like this goes without saying, but I think it does need to be said, that the Bible has authority only if we know what the Bible says. I mean, the Bible always has authority, but the, the Bible doesn't have authority in my heart and life if I don't know what the Bible says. And so, in order to be those that are truly submitting to the authority of the Word of God, we have to know the Word of God and then take the next step to say, based upon the truth of the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God, I'm gladly submit. Yeah. Well, that is all the time we have for today. We will see you again.